My name is Keith Beavers, and is Positions the New Thank You Next? I mean, like, close, right? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode five of season two of Vine Pairs Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair, and hey, I know we've talked about Malbec and we dipped our toe into Argentina, but now we're gonna dive into the high desert of Argentina and understand like what what is this place that we love so much? Well, we love the wine. What do we know about the place? This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Alamos Wine. At Alamos Wine, we craft flavorful, approachable, and authentically Argentine wines. Our flagship wine, the rich Argentinian Malbec, thrives in Mendoza's Uco Valley, where our unique growing conditions give our Malbec incredibly concentrated notes of plum and blackberry. Here, in the shadow of the Andes Mountains, all our grapes reap the benefit of incredibly clean air, intense sunlight, frosty cold nights, and mineral-rich Andes snowmelt to provide water for the vines. Indulge in the adventurous spirit of Argentina, Alamos Wines. Okay, so we understand Malbec, right? We know how it got to Argentina, but we, do need, we need to talk about Argentina itself. There's some fascinating stuff that you need to know to understand what happened to get to the point of us falling in love with Malbec. Okay, I don't understand economics very well, but... In the end of the 90s into, into the 2000s, like 2000, 2001, Argentina goes into a recession. And for some reason, the Argentine, the Argentine peso is pegged to the U.S. dollar, and it devalues the Argentine peso. And this is bad for the Argentinians because they had some exports they were doing with other products, but they weren't really exporting wine. But because of that price being so low and attractive to American importers the Argentine people decided to start exporting their Malbec into the United States. You see, before that, the majority of the products that we got into the United States from Argentina were cattle products and fruit products. The Argentine people weren't about exporting wine. Their entire history of wine in that country is domestic, more so than (laughs) a lot of other countries, especially in the New World and the old world. I mean, in 1960, there was a study done showing that the average annual wine consumption per head per capita in Argentina was 23 gallons a year. At that same time in the UK, it was six. So as we in America started falling in love with Malbec, the Argentinians were like, hey, Welcome to us. Welcome to what we've been doing. Because it's, it's, it's wild because Argentina is considered a new world wine region. You know, it's not European. doesn't have very strict, you know, winemaking rules. But the, Argent, the history of wine in Argentina begins in the 16th century with Spanish explorers, then conquerors, then colonists. And from the 16th century to the early 19th century, Argentina builds and evolves into one of the largest domestic wine industries in the world. So by the time we fell in love with Malbec, there was so much going on. 
the 16th century was very active for exploring. You had a lot of explorers leaving um, Spain and Portugal and coming to look for other places to live, and they ended up in Central and South America. And specifically in what is now Mexico City and what is now in Mexico and what is now Lima in Peru. These colonists from Spain were getting supplies from Spain all the time. But as they started to acclimate and take over this land, they started planting their own vines because it was harder and harder to get good wine from Spain to this area. It would usually go bad by the time it gets there. So they started planting their own vines. And a lot of those vines were, were... concentrated in Mexico City and in Peru. And a lot of this was being done by the Jesuit monks. And here we are with monks again. Of course, it was the monks that maintained and cultivated and found the best places to grow vines. And so from Mexico City to Peru, there was a bunch of wine being made. There's a bunch of land being conquered. And now we have what the royal crown is calling New Spain. The wine activity was intense. Peruvian wine was a big deal. The Jesuits were doing it. Secular people were doing it. Wine was, was happening in Peru. And of course, all this activity has humans moving even further south. And they move south from Peru into Chile and into Argentina. And they bring with them vines and monks. And these Jesuit monks are pretty intense. They're all over this what is now Argentina's land. They're trying to convert the... The, the, the native people to their religion. They're setting up missionaries. In 1557, the first recorded vineyard is planted in a town called Santiago del Estero. It's the first city founded by the Spanish settlers in this territory. To this day, they actually call that city Madre de Ciudades, which means the mother of all cities. In 1561, the city of Mendoza is founded just at the foothills of the Andes Mountains. And then very quickly north of Mendoza in a place called San Juan, vines begin to be planted. And this moment right here is really where people started realizing the potential of this wine growing region. So by the end of the 16th century, New Spain or South and Central South America have a good thing going for them. There's wine being made in Peru. There's wine being made in Mexico City. Now there's wine being made in this new place called Mendoza. It's a self-contained domestic wine industry and it was going very well. And it was going so well, they weren't ordering wine from Spain anymore. So over in Spain, the wine merchants are like, wait a second, what's going on? Our orders are drying up. So they approached King, King Felipe II, and they're like, hey, can you do something about this? Because we're not making any money off this new Spain. King's like, okay. And in 1595, he actually sends out an edict banning all wine production in New Spain. You can't grow vines, you can't make wine, unless it's for the Catholic Church. Nice loophole. But, and this is so great, New Spain ignored it. They're like, what are you going to do? This is too big over here. You can't, you can't mess with this. And they continued to just make wine. And in Argentina, wine becomes the main economic activity of this new country. A middle class starts to develop to the west of Mendoza in a place called Cuyo. A lot of wealthy families go to this area, which is the foothills of the Andes. They start planting vines there. Then vines start being planted all around the, the surrounding areas of Mendoza, basically creating some of the wine regions we still know today in Argentina, like San Juan and Salta. And this is all before Malbec even enters the chat. The main variety of grape they were working with was a Spanish grape called Listan Prieto. 
And then at some point, that grape moves it to, to the Canary Islands, which is another hub for the explorers, and that grape becomes called Palomino. And then at some point, they get to the New World into Mexico City, and the grape becomes known as the Mission Grape. And then they move down into Peru, into Chile, and the grape is called Pais. And by the time the grape gets into Argentina, it's called Criolla Chica. I know. It's confusing. It's a lot of names. It's one grape. This is a red grape. A white grape they were playing around with was called Muscatel de Alexandria, which creates these very kind of sweet aromatic wines. And at some point, Criolla Chica and Muscatel de Alexandria cross-pollinate and a new variety pops up. It's crazy. It's like an Argentine variety. They ended up calling it Torontes, and it actually thrives in Salta, which we'll get into. By the end of the 19th century, there were more vineyards. There were export routes going to different parts of South America. They started using irrigation channels that the native people had built to capture the snowmelt from the Andes to use as a water source. They started using that for irrigation, and to this day, they, could, they do the same thing. Winemakers start using oak barrels. The secular part of wine production becomes more popular. At some point, the Jesuit monks are kicked out of South America, and the royal crown in Spain starts distributing all the missionaries and the winemaking facilities to the bourgeoisie and other clergy members. Mendoza was thriving. Cuyo was thriving. I think there was like 8,000 people living in Cuyo. San Juan was thriving. At the end of the 18th century, Argentina had done so much with wine. Unfortunately, in the beginning of the 19th century, a civil war broke out. And because of the civil war, wine trade throughout South America dried up. This is what really began the the focus on domestic consumption in Argentina. And during the civil war, a lot of Argentinian people went over to the Andes and found refuge in Chile. And if you remember in the Malbec episode... There was one guy who did this. His name was Domingo Santiago Sarmiento. And if that name sounds familiar, we talked about him in the Malbec episode in last season where he meets up with Michel Pouget and another guy named Claudio Gay. He convinces them to come back over the Andes to start and bring vines with them to help develop the wine industry in Argentina. This is after the Civil War is over and it's safe to come back to Argentina. An agricultural school is set up, vines are planted, and this ushers in a new era of Argentine wine, the one that we're pretty familiar with. This is where Malbec just takes over everything. This is the spiritual home of Malbec. And it's just so crazy how these wine regions were already established, But when they planted Malbec into these regions that are already established, like, oh my gosh, Malbec takes to the soil here like you wouldn't believe. And not just in one place. Mendoza is big. And there are warm, low-lying areas. There are foothills and high-elevation areas. But Malbec took to all of it and gave Argentina different styles of Malbec depending on where it's grown. And the generations of families that make these wines, these are people that came from France Italy, Spain, and when the railway was built, they made their way into Mendoza and they started planting roots there. And that's why some of the wineries that you hear in Mendoza have sort of not really Spanish names because of all that influence. All that European wine skill and influence has been in Argentina for a very long time. 
because Argentina went through some tough times, quantity became more important than quality at some point, but that was just a very brief moment in time. So let's talk about what you're going to see on the American market from Argentina pretty much in the form of Malbec. <laughs> so, but this is this is why how this is how diverse Argentina is. And the majority of the wine growing area is around like in the west part of the country up against the Andes Mountains because that's where some of the best wine growing soils are, very poor soils. The thing about Argentina is it's it's a high desert. The elevations of some of these vineyards can get up to 5,000 feet above sea level. It's very high up there. It's very cool. There are a lot of very poor soils throughout this wine growing region, whether it's Mendoza or Salta or San Juan, and you get little rainfall in this area. Some places get more than others. I think it's an average of 12 inches per year. And all this with summers that can reach up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Mendoza is by far the largest wine producing region in Argentina and kind of the most important. This area is, is responsible for 70% of all the output of Argentina when it comes to wine. And this province or this wine growing region, Mendoza, the way it works out is there's not really a controlled Appalachian system. There is, but it's not very, it's very loose and it's actually in, in development now. But generally speaking, Mendoza is divided into departments which are then subdivided into districts. And then within those districts, you have actual single vineyards. And there are names for each of these. It's not official yet, but they're working on it, and it's coming because there is so much terroir to talk about in Mendoza alone. To the east and north of Mendoza are about six departments. And they're like La, La Valle, La Zeras, Santa Rosa, La Paz, San Martin, Rivadavia. These departments are furthest away from the Andes. It's a more low-lying area. Tons of sun, of course. This place gets tons of sun no matter what. And more fertile soil. And in this area, you do get Malbec, but primarily you really see Tempranillo and Bonarda. And they make these really great everyday red wines. They're awesome. There's more focused wine being made in this area, but this is a really good source for good everyday Argentine red wine. South and west of Mendoza are two departments, Maipu, and then closer to the Andes, Luján de Cuyo. This is considered together the Prima Zona, is the first area. It's one of the oldest wine districts in Mendoza. This is where all those sort of wealthy people back in the day were building houses and wineries over towards the Andes in Cuyo. Maipu and Luján de Coyo both have about seven districts within their departments. And this really, this is the place that really helped define Malbec from Mendoza. We have Luján de Coyo is at a higher elevation and make more kind of refined, structured wines, where Maipu is a little bit lower area, a little more fertile, making big kind of like round, juicy Malbec. So that's kind of, that's sort of the two Malbecs that we know. We know the juicy stuff and we know the structured stuff. And that's where it all began. But an hour and a half south of Mendoza, there was a valley called the Uco Valley. This place is very special, not only in Argentina, but in wine in general. You have the department of Tupungato with four districts within that. And then you have single vineyards within that. You have the department of Tunyunyan with its four districts and single vineyards within that. 
Then you have San Carlos with its four districts and single vineyards within that. This place is a focused study in how vines and soil and climate interact with each other. The varying soils of this area is pretty overwhelming. The fact that we have three departments, four districts each with single vineyards within them shows that there is a, such a varying soil composition that it needs, they all need to be defined. As rocks and glaciers and rivers are formed in mountains, it displaces a lot of soil. These are called alluvial fans. And towards the, the, the bottom and the foothills of mountain ranges, there in certain areas of the world, there are a significant amount of alluvial fans, meaning all different kinds of soils on top of each other, just in, it's chaotic. It's almost like Burgundy, but a little bit different because it's a mountain range and not a massive. And you could sit down with a Malbec from each of these areas and you would know the distinct differences between them. Malbec has a lot to offer. It has a lot of beautiful dark fruit, sometimes herby, herby nose, sometimes a little bit of pepper, but nice big structure to it, good tannins. There is a separation of character that Malbec wants to show us. And Uku Valley does that. The wines being made there and the people that are making wine there are so into the soil, it's ridiculous. They dig holes, they study, they plant. It's a very kind of sustainable area as well. A lot of the winemakers there are doing sustainable winemaking. It's, it's a beautiful place. And these wines, I have to say, they're not inexpensive. This, I believe, is Argentina's Napa Valley. It is a, it, there are more affordable wines being made there. But Uco Valley is about structure, Focus. These Malbecs are amazing. You can get fine Malbecs from Uco Valley that are upwards of $70, $80, $90 a bottle because they're such a small production because they want you, to, they want you to, to feel the terroir. And what they do is they have their departments and then their districts and their single vineyards is what they call paraje. And that's, that's their name for single vineyards. And this is the word that they're hoping to be part of the new controlled system they're trying to create. So it'd be department, district, paraje, or single vineyard. This is where it's all really happening. It's very, very exciting. And you're going to see wines from all over Mendoza pretty much on the American market. And it's not just Malbec. There's Cabernet Sauvignon, there's Cab Franc, there's Merlot, there's Syrah, there's Chardonnay, there's Sauvignon Blanc. They're doing all kinds of stuff in Mendoza. But Malbec just kind of reigns supreme because of its ability to express itself in different ways throughout the region. All the way, I mean, north of Mendoza, all the way towards the southern border of Peru in northern Argentina is a valley called the Calachaqui Valley. I don't know, even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. This valley is big, and it, it, it spreads over a few provinces. The most important of those provinces, just because we see it mostly on the American market, is a place called Salta. And this department makes Malbec. They also grow Cabernet, Syrah, Bonarda, even a grape called Tanat, which is actually doing really well in Uruguay. But it's the extremely aromatic, dry, sometimes fizzy white wine made from the Torontes variety 
that shines in this area. You'll remember Torontes is the variety that was discovered in Argentina that had been a cross between Criolla Chica and Muscatel de Alexandria. Well, this region is well over 5,000 feet above sea level. I mean, well over that. Some places it goes up to 10,000. There's actually a vineyard 10,000 feet above sea level in this area. It gets 300 days of sun. It is extremely windy, which is perfect for a white wine grape that produces a lot of sugar, is very aromatic, and if it was grown in any other place, and it sometimes is, it can be a little bit cloying and intense and a little bit syrupy. But in Salta, oh, Torrontes is amazing. It's fizzy almost. It's bright. It's vibrant. It's dry. But there are these sort of smacks of sweet that hit your palate, but they're not cloying sweet. They're just kind of aromatic sweet. They're beautiful wines, and you'll find them on the American market. There are other wine departments in Argentina, but these are the ones we're going to see on the American market, and this is just the beginning. Argentina is in the throes of a big development. It's going to be very exciting, but if you get a chance, try to find some of those higher-end focused Malbecs, or even Cab Franc, or Cabernet Sauvignon, whether it's from the Uco Valley, or or whether it's from Luján de Cuyo, Give them, a, give them a chance. Spend a little money on a Malbec. Let it show you what kind of structure and beauty it can have. And then get one for like $9 and have yourself a burger night. You know what I mean? So as usual, there's more about Argentina I want to tell you, but I don't want to waste all your time. We have more to talk about. So go out there, enjoy Malbec from Argentina, knowing a little bit about how it all happened. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Alamos Wine. At Alamos Wine, we craft flavorful, approachable, and authentically Argentine wines. Our flagship wine, the rich Argentinian Malbec, thrives in Mendoza's Uco Valley, where our unique growing conditions give our Malbec incredibly concentrated notes of plum and blackberry. Here, in the shadow of the Andes Mountains, all our grapes reap the benefit of incredibly clean air, intense sunlight, frosty cold nights, and mineral-rich Andes snowmelt to provide water for the vine. Indulge in the adventurous spirit of Argentina, Alamos Wines.